Today we are continuing a study which we began just last week, entitled Kingdom Shift, Restoring Right Priorities. For about the eight-week time period here, we are stepping back into a study of the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible with you, would you please open it to Mark chapter 11? If you don't have a Bible with you, would you please make use of the Bible located right in front of you? And turn with me to the second book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, which shows up on page 717 in the Pew Bible. I I want to encourage you, as I did last week and as I will continue to remind you, that when we come to study the Word of the Lord, and specifically when we come to the Gospel, Peter, I'm a little hot. Thank you. When we come to the gospel, we are not simply coming to words on a page. The Bible says that the gospel is the very power of God for salvation. And the Bible also says that God lives not only in a high and lofty place, but He also lives near to those who are humble of heart and who tremble at His Word. So, this morning, what's happening right now is not simply my words being spoken to your ears. This is the very... Word of God and His living presence is within it. And He is speaking to not just your physical ears, but to the spiritual ears of your heart. He wants to touch your life at the very foundational core of who you are and bring transformation because He loves you and me too much leave us the way we are. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. I don't know if you're up for that, but I'm all in. Okay, God, do it. So, for these weeks, we're looking at this kingdom shift. And let me just, again, remind you, kingdom, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a geographic realm. We're not talking about something that has been prescribed by a geographic area. We are talking about the very rule and reign of God, which transcends all geographics, transcends all generations, transcends all cultures, transcends all languages. The kingdom of God is nothing less than the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at a little bit about the characteristics of that kingdom and discovered that it is a prophetic kingdom. It expresses the very plans of God. It is a just and peaceable kingdom which expresses the very heart of God. It is also a powerful kingdom that fulfills the purposes of God. 
and what is he is desiring to do in us is that we would find ourselves shifting which means a dislodging and a repositioning he wants to take us out of the kingdom of ourselves and bring us into his kingdom where he is at the center Now, one of the practical ways that we looked at last week that how he wants to do that is that he wants us to be centered. Last week we did a message, Jesus' triumphal entry out of Mark 11, the verse, first 11 verses on welcoming the king and how we, he wants us to be centered in him. And in order to do that, we must shift from a priority list to a priority wheel. Let me explain very quickly. In a list, well, if we're, you know, particularly if we're in church and we're having our list, we're going to put God at the top of our list, right? Because that would be like the right thing to do. Yes? (laughs) And then we say family. Oh, yes, my family. And then my work and school and ministry and friends and neighbors and hobbies. And here's our list that we have. And we're constantly sort of reprioritizing on that list. And we're, you know, here's the problem with the list. The list really puts us at the center. Because we're the ones deciding what the priority is. And so having a priority list, I have discovered for myself, just doesn't work well. And that God wants to actually blow up that paradigm and give us a brand new one. What He would like us to see is our priorities in the form of a wheel where He is at the center. So He's at the center of our family. He's at the center of our work. He's at the center of our friends, our school, our ministry, our hobbies, our neighbors. He's always there at the center of everything that we do and all that we are involved in participating in. Does this make sense? That's a shift. But if we are going to go through kingdom shift, we're going to have to rediscover our priorities in a new way and we're going to need to see them in the form of a wheel rather than as a list. Because guess what? God never wants to be second on the list or third or fourth. He always wants to be at the center. He wants to be at the center of your family. Do you know that? He wants to be the center of your work. He wants to be the center of your friends. He wants to be the center in your neighborhood. He wants to be the center in your hobbies. He really does. So there has to be a shift in even the way we perceive and understand. Everybody got this? Yes? You know, it's... It takes time, and I'm still learning how to walk into that. Learning how to ask Him to be in the center of everything that I'm doing. Because guess what? If He's not, 
then I'm at the center of it. And no matter what it is, even good stuff, even ministry, when it's done, when we're at the center of it, it gets really tiring really fast. So God wants to shift all of our priorities. All right. So this morning, what makes the king mad and glad? What makes the king mad and what makes him glad? Mark 11, hopefully you've found that by now. We're going to begin in verse 11, which is the last verse from last week. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple, looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, Bethany is located about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. Here's why I want to pause there for just a moment. Jesus came in, the triumphal entry, riding in on the donkey. We talked about all of that last week. Get the, You can download it on the, the website or order a CD if you weren't here, if you want to fully get engaged with all of this whole series. But here's what I want you to notice as we step into our passage this morning. He already went into Jerusalem and he already went into the temple and then withdrew. Why is that important? That's important because what happens next is very jarring to us. But what I want you to notice here and what I want you to understand is when Jesus takes his next prophetic actions... He's not doing so out of reaction. He's not being impulsive. He's already scoped out the situation as it were. He's already looked around and discovered and seen what's going on. And now he responds prophetically with the heart of God. And I think that's very, very important that we understand. Jesus is not being impulsive. He's not being impetuous. He's not reacting. He's responding to the voice of the Father and responding to what he's seeing going on. All right, so in the morning, whoops, sorry, the next day, verse 12, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig fig tree in leaf, He went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there, overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withered. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. All right, now, there's hardly any complexity at all in this passage. Simple, right? Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) Let me put a frame around it for a moment for you again so that you really understand what's going on here. The Bible talks about, and Jesus frequently uses signs and wonders and parables. He uses regularly signs, wonders, and parables. What's a sign? A sign is something that points you towards truth. A wonder is make, is something that causes you to stop and wonder. I wonder why that happened. A parable is a story which is a window into deeper reality. What we have here, particularly with the fig tree, but also with Jesus' prophetic act in the temple, is we have enacted prophetic work of Jesus. He's coming here. He is the king, who is the shepherd as well as the prophet, who is coming into his house, and on on the way to his house, he does a prophetic act, which is really an acted parable, which is a window into a deeper reality. It's showing a truth that needed to be seen. And there's a sign that's pointing towards something deeper. And there's a wonder that causes them to say, huh, look at that, that tree. So let these acts today in this scripture be a sign and a wonder and a window for you into deeper reality. So, what makes the king mad? Now, just last week, Pastor, didn't you say that Jesus came in on a donkey because he's the prince of peace and he's establishing a peaceable kingdom? Well, he is. He's he's establishing a just and peaceable kingdom. The Hebrew word shalom is the word that covers all of that. And what it means is things put in proper order. God's peace is when everything, it's not simply the absence of war, it's when everything is in proper coherence with His heart and purposes. And Jesus comes not simply to keep peace, He comes to make peace. And that's different. Keeping peace and making peace are two different things. So He's coming to make peace. And as a part of that process of making peace, the king is mad. He's angry. And that kind of, I don't know about you, but that's that's just a little bit unsettling. 
Because we like Jesus meek and mild. Right? Jesus angry is unsettling. Unless we understand what he gets angry about. What's he mad about? Two things. First of all, he's mad about fruitlessness. He gets angry with fruitlessness. Jesus here is fulfilling a scripture from Micah chapter 7. I've only recorded for you verse 1, but I would encourage you in your reading to go back and read Micah chapter 7 verses 1 to 7. What misery is mine, the prophet said, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Now this fig tree that Jesus comes across is beautifully leafy. It's got all kinds of, it looks great on the outside. And it isn't the season for figs. However, it is the time where often there would be sort of the early figs, the very, um, the immature, new that, that were seen as a, as a great delicacy. And those figs aren't even there. This tree gives the appearance of health, but it's really got nothing going on. Jesus says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Does he have your attention yet? He's got mine. John 15, a very familiar passage. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the heart of Jesus. If you remain in me, if back to my earlier illustration, if you put me at the center of your life, if you will remain in me, you will naturally produce fruit. If you seek to do this on your own and of your own strength and ability, not so much. Because apart from me, you can do a few really good things. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing that will have lasting fruit. This passages and these passages are not meant to scare us. They are meant to challenge us. To allow the Lord to examine, you know, what does He look like? When He comes near... The fig tree that is our life, what does he see? Lots of nice glossy leaves. Everything dressed up looking good. Where's the fruit? The king will deal with hypocrisy, falsity, 
and paucity. All right. Yes. All right. It's my word, Esteban. All right, we talked about it. I told him I'm going to use this word. And you won't be the only one that doesn't know what it means. Neither will most everybody else. All right. Hypocrisy simply means the gap between where we are and where we need to be. All of us have that gap. But the Lord wants to help close the gap. The question is, is the gap widening or is the gap narrowing? Not if there is a gap, because there is one. He wants to deal with falsity. The appearances, the again, that's kind of like the hypocrisy, but you know, the, the appearances of one thing and the reality of something else. False goods. Paucity means lack. Few. Why didn't I just say lack or few? Because paucity rhymes with hypocrisy and falsity. <laughs> and I love words and teaching you words. Teaching myself words. But paucity is, is, is very important because it means a lack of, it means few, it means not so much. And the Lord wants to deal with that because you know what? He wants to give you fruit, not only fruit, but more fruit, not only more fruit, but much fruit, not only much fruit, but fruit that will remain. He's the God who wants to bring abundance, not paucity. Fullness, plenteousness. Right? You feel it? I want you to feel it. That's what he's after. And he's going to deal with these other things in our lives individually and corporately to bring forth something more. He gets angry with fruitlessness. He also gets angry with injustice. As we come into the temple, you, many of you know the picture, but let me just remind you. The temple is made up of a series of courtyards, starting with the Gentile, and then the court of women, and then the court of the Jews, uh, the, the male Jews, and then into the holy, and where the priests can go, and the holy of holies, where only the high priest can go. And So it's sort of this series of places. And in the Gentile courtyard is where, um, and this was, this was actually a relatively new thing, what, what Jesus was seeing in his day was something that just happened under Caiaphas and, and it just gotten started was um, there was this bazaar um, and a, and a B-A-Z-A-A-R, the, the kind of a, you know, a, a, a market, thank you. Farmer's market, okay? Farmer's market going on in the Gentile courts. And the market was about helping people who, you know, people, Pilgrims were coming for Passover from all over the world, and as they were coming, they had to bring an offering for their sins, something to bring as as uh, to, to to make um, what's that amends? Yes, to make amends and to sacrifice to God. 
So it was usually doves or maybe a goat and all of those things. Well, when they got there to the city, many had traveled a long ways and there were people there who were the inspectors to make sure that the offering that you were bringing, the sacrifice that you were bringing, met standards. Well, guess what? They found out that a whole lot of people just didn't meet the standard. Surprise, surprise. But right over here, if I send, send you right over here, you can buy an officially authorized sacrifice. Now, it's only going to cost you three to four times as much as the one that you brought, but it will be accepted by God if you'll get it. Oh, you are from... Oh, I didn't realize. You came all the way here from Minneapolis. Well, here in Minneapolis, we can't use Minneapolis money. We can only use St. Paul money. So to buy the sacrifice, the offering that you need to bring, you are going to have to turn your coins from Minneapolis coins into St. Paul coins. So you're going to have to go over here to the money changer who's going to help you with your money. He'll relieve you of a fairly good amount of your money. Because, of course, there's a little bit of a tax and a fee involved. and So here we got all this going on. Not only that, the court of the Gentiles is the only place where those who were not Jews could come and actually worship God. And there were specific temple regulations that said the court of Gentiles, because it was on the way from the Mount of Olives, and it was, it was one of the places that was a natural pass-through, there was actually regulations for the temple, that it could not be used as a pathway, as a place where people to walk through with their goods and merchandise. So all of this is going on, and Jesus has scoped it out the night before, and he's seeing what's going on. And the king is really angry about injustice. Jeremiah chapter 7, which is one of the scriptures that Jesus quotes here, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly. If you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say... We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Jesus was watching, and he saw, and his heart was deeply disturbed. Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. These are the religious people. 
These are the most religious people in Jerusalem in, in, in the, in, for, the, for the Jewish people. And he's saying, woe to you! You who think you've got it all together because you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Ouch! Oh, man. Malachi, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before you. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He's going to sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He's going to purify the Levites, refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I'm coming near. Jesus came very near. He came to the temple to set things right, to bring justice, to bring his divine order, to bring his purposes, and to establish them right in the very center and heart of the people. He goes right. It's a kingdom shift a priority right in the very core of who they are. Because guess what? The king will deal with exploitation, desecration, and segregation. He will deal with people being exploited. He will deal when people, when his temple, in his name, in his purposes, are being desecrated. And he will deal with segregation and the walls that people build to keep people from coming to him. He's going to deal with all of that. Because that's the king. He will deal with injustice. Because it makes him very mad. Jesus is mad about fruitlessness and he's mad when he sees injustice. Why? Because it's a distortion of his heart and purposes. Because it's something else than or something less than what his true heart is for. It's not simply because he's against those things, but it's because he is for fruitless, fruitfulness and justice. This is what he is for. He's not simply against those things, but he wants and desires to see in your and my life, individually and in our lives collectively and in his church and in his kingdom, he longs to see in the world fruitfulness and justice established. We should all be familiar with this scripture here at Bethel because it's one of our key foundational scriptures of who we are as a house of prayer for all nations. From Isaiah chapter 56, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice, do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. 
and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating and who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I'm going to gather still others to them beside those already gathered. He's all about gathering more into His house of prayer for all nations. A place which is marked by great fruitfulness and marked by justice. This is His heart. This is what makes the King glad. This is what Jesus quotes here when He comes into the temple. He says, this is what I long for. This is what I desire. In the Gospel of Matthew, the parallel to our Scripture this morning, the parallel Gospel, he gives just a slightly fuller um, explanation of what Jesus says and does and what happens here in the temple. And we're just about done here. He says, Jesus entered the temple area, drove out all who were buying and selling there, overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. You're making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the teacher of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Here's what he wants. Here's what he's after. He's after a house of prayer for all nations where people from all nations, from all tribes, all tongues, all people groups will come and will worship him. This is his heart. This is what makes him glad. This is his vision for his kingdom which he will fulfill it's also a house that is marked by power the lame and the deaf came to him and they were healed when that house is cleaned out fruitfulness begins to come justice begins to come power begins to be released and it becomes a place of passionate praise where even the children are shouting to the Lord in glory and honor and praise because of all that is happening and unfolding before them. And children do not have the inhibitions that adults do. They let it rip. And ultimately becomes a house of His presence. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are called to host His presence. Together, corporately, we are called to host His presence. He's not simply looking for visitation. He's after habitation. The habitation of the Lord. So here's my questions. What is preventing us from being fruitful in the kingdom? 
Are there areas that we need to ask the vine dresser to come and trim up our lives? Are there branches that aren't bearing fruit? Are there things that aren't bearing fruit for the kingdom and that he's wanting to deal with right now in your and my life? And what may it be in my own life or even corporately or in other ways, what could be preventing others? What's blocking? What's standing in the way? Is there anything in our message? I've heard people talk about the, you know, that we need to get rid of Jesus' end. What that means is when we get rid of Jesus' end, this other thing that we attach to it. What have we attached to the gospel that's blocking people from coming? What may it be? The king wants to deal with those things in our lives and in our life together. 